Welcome into the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt from KSLSports.com. Getting you a breakdown on the Utah Jazz. As the NBA season kicks off tonight, we were recording this on Tuesday, October 24th. The Utah Jazz begin the season tomorrow night against the Sacramento Kings. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll get you updated on the latest news. Looks like we have an opening night roster for the Jazz that we have yet to learn what the starting lineup is going to be. Uh, we can look back at last week's preseason game a little bit, the scrimmage on Saturday, which I learned a couple of things from, and also we can make our uh, predictions for the uh, for the award season if we were to uh, apply them only to the Utah Jazz. So Chandler, let's uh, get to uh, the quick news points. Uh, not surprising, the Jazz exercised the rookie options for both uh, Ochai Ogbaje and Walker Kessler. They were both very good last year, and even if you're terrible, you get that third year guaranteed basically all the time. Yes, we expected that move. Both Walker and Agbaje showed that they could do a lot for this Jazz team. Walker's going to go into the season as the starting center, and Agbaje will probably be a 3 and D guy off the bench, bringing whatever the Jazz really asked from him. Yeah, he's probably the seventh guy on the roster. I don't know who the sixth man is because I don't know who the starting point guard is. And whoever the starting point guard is will determine who the sixth man is. And whoever, But regardless, beyond that, it probably then becomes Ochai because yes. he's going to step in. And I mean, maybe that's Kelly, so maybe Ochai's eight, whatever. He's going to come in that second rotation, that second wave of guys, and uh, I think Ochai is going to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to his season. He was a little quiet. We didn't talk a lot of him, uh, about him a lot during uh, during the preseason, but but he shot well. He played well. I thought he was really good at summer league when he wasn't having to play with the ball in his hands, which is not his job and won't ever be his job. At least this year with the Jazz, maybe if he gets better, he can get there. But uh, yeah, we've talked so much about Walker Kessler because he made All Rookie First Team and was so good last year. Uh, kind of easy to overlook that Ochai was a lottery pick, and even though you already got a really good piece in Larry Markin and back from uh, from Donovan Mitchell, you would really like if Ochai could step up and be a long term piece as well. I, I will tell you, mentally, mentally and physically, he has it. You know, I mean, his body is crazy. He is he's a freak athlete, uh, and then he's a superb kid. He seems like a very nice, smart person. Uh, I think the next step is just making sure the skills all add up and the consistency is there. And that will be his challenge, but uh, yeah, guaranteed his uh, roster spot for next season, at least his contract. And then I probably bigger moves that I expected, but you never know, because I was wrong last year. Uh, both Chris Dunn and Lucas Shamanich make the uh, opening night roster for the Jazz. Yes, and that's actually a good question about the uh, Jazz's six-man, because we don't know. It'll probably be Dunn or Sexton to start the year as that starting point guard. Do you think that Keontae will get that six-man spot, or will it be whoever doesn't start for the Jazz? Yeah, it'll be either Colin Sexton or... Or maybe Keontae George or Taylor Horton Tucker or Jordan Clarkson or Chris Dunn. Yeah, exactly. We're right back into this whole circle. Uh, Last year, the Jazz waived players, and they just waived the cheapest guys on the roster. And they just said, you know what? We had to cut the roster down a little bit, but uh, we're going to make moves just to save money because they weren't expecting to win. So they waived Jared Butler. They waived some players that, like, could have probably contributed to a young team, but they were just the cheapest guys out there. And they said, well, that's the easiest money to eat as opposed to waving Rudy Gay, which in retrospect, maybe they shouldn't have done because it allowed you to trade for John Collins. And that's why they held on to him. But, you know, those young guys probably made more sense for the Jazz, but they were cheap. So they waved them. They could have easily saved four million bucks by uh, waving Chris Dunn and Lucas Shamanich. Chris Dunn by himself is worth more than four million dollars. So there's no reason to eat that money and let him go sign immediately with a championship contender. And I've just seen enough from Lucas Shamanich to say, let's keep trying it. Because he's six foot nine and he's super athletic and he makes shots at a high enough clip and does enough highlight real stuff that maybe, maybe he's 12 months away or six months away and, and it's worth keeping around. 
Yes, and I think that him and Simone are sort of competing for that backup Laurie Markkinen spot, and it may just come down to whoever will be making their shots when the season kicks off. Yep, and if you're hurt, he's a big body. And you know what? The league is dying for six foot nine skilled players, and he's a six foot nine skilled player. So uh, I would keep him around. And another little contract that if you do make a trade this season, you can throw in there, and someone will say, oh, I remember him in the draft. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that guy. So uh, I think those guys always have value. So uh, Jazz, keep both of those two around. I think that's a good sign. Uh, let's touch quickly on the last game the Jazz played against the Kings to wrap up the preseason last week. We don't need to stand it a whole lot. I don't know if it was all that accurate. In fact, I know it's not accurate to what we're going to see to, uh, tomorrow night when the Jazz play the Kings for that reason. You play the same team back-to-back. You're not going to show them everything you do on uh, opening night of the season in your final preseason game. Yeah, as we predicted last episode, the Jazz had a handful of players against the Kings. Uh, without Markinen, Olinick, Clarkson, and John Collins, Utah lost to Sacramento by 3, 116 to 113. The Kings also didn't play De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis, and a few other players. Um, my highlights from that game are Chris Dunn and Taylor Hendricks. Now, if you just look at the stats, you would think that Hendricks had a bad game. He was 2 for 9 from the field, 1 for 6 from 3, minus 14. But in my opinion, he looked much more comfortable in the offense, and it felt like he was like typically in the right spots. Between that final preseason game and then I went to the scrimmage on Saturday, I saw Taylor Hendricks start to get it. And I hadn't seen him get it at any other point in the preseason. Like, he ran hard. He was standing in the right spot. This is another stupid thing as we talk about rebounding. Like, he's standing at the right depth for rebounds. I might have touched on that last week as well. Like, little things that I think are innate to basketball players that if you've never played before, you see a shot go up and someone tells you to get a rebound, you're like, well, I'm just going to go to as close to the rim as possible. And he's like, well, no, I'm six foot nine. I have a 40-inch vertical. If I do the math, I should stand here and I can get any ball and have an advantage. Like, those are weird little things. It's like what Dennis Rodman made a living off of doing. Charles Barkley was great at it. You have to know that type of stuff. And I thought he kind of showed that. I was like, oh, that's good. He's he's The natural math of basketball is starting to compute for him. He didn't make shots. I know he can make shots. I watched him at Central Florida. He will make shots at some point in the NBA once he settles down and gets comfortable. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I thought he played really well. I know how good Chris Dunn is. I've been saying he should be the starting point guard for six months now. Chris Dunn's just a very good player. Uh, but maybe what was most interesting is Taylor Horton Tucker started again, the only uh, Jazz backcourt player to start all five preseason games. And you look at his numbers, 26 points, eight assists, five rebounds. 10 of 19 from the floor, you're like, yeah, that's a starting point guard. And then you watch the game, and it's just like, I don't know what to expect from Taylor Horton Tucker. Dribble to dribble, much less play to play, much less quarter to quarter. That's the hard part about Taylor, where if I'm Lowry Markinen and I'm John Collins, and I'm Walker Kessler, and I'm Jordan Clarkson, which are the four better players on this roster, I know for sure are better than Taylor Horton Tucker, I need to know how he's going to feed me. I need to know how he's going to take care of me. And I don't know play-to-play what Taylor Horton Tucker is going to do and if he's going to ignore that he has teammates or if he's going to make some crazy highlight reel pass for a wide-open three. I just I don't know, and that's really hard to play with those guys. In that last preseason game, even though Sexton and THT both dropped 20-plus, Dunn had a very complete game. He posted 12 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. And to your point, when you're in a starting lineup with Markinen, John Collins, and Jordan Clarkson— you, we don't need you to give 20-plus. We need you to facilitate the offense. We need you to be in the right spot at the right time and find the open man. And I just think that Dunn has a much better chance to do that when surrounded by other scorers instead of a guy like TH2T who, who is going to dribble over and over. And you, like you said, you never know play-to-play what's going to happen with him. Yeah. my So I, I, I'm not 
I, I see what Taylor Horton Tucker does, and he's 22 years old again, or he's 23 now. He's he's still super young. Like it's not like he can't continue to get better, but he, it's just a lot. You know, the problem is in this game when he's taking 19 shots and Colin Sexton's taking 16 shots, that's both fine, but you can't have your starting backcourt take 35 shots when you have John Collins and Lowry Markinen and Walker Kessler on the floor. And Walker even took 12 in this game, which is more than he's going to get in a a regular season game. So you've got to shift that down, and do you believe Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be willing to take six or seven shots a game and feel happy doing that? And can he play his game and be effective if he's only taking seven shots? He honestly might not be able to. Utah's first game is tomorrow, like we talked about, but today is the NBA's opening night. The Nuggets play the Lakers after their ring ceremony at 5.30 p.m. After that, the Suns play the Warriors in the Bay at 8 p.m. Both of those games will be uh, nationally broadcast on TNT. I'm so happy that NBA basketball's back. Yeah, I'm, I'm an NBA dork. Admittedly, I'm just a big NBA fan, uh, so I'm excited for these games, the TNT doubleheader. Unfortunately, some injuries already going to have uh, an impact on these games tonight. We know we're not going to see... Uh, Jalen hood Shafino, which he probably, as a rookie, wasn't going to play for the Lakers a whole lot anyways, though they're a little thin at point guard. Uh, and then uh, you're not going to have Jared Vanderbilt, who member started for them last year or through most of the season. I think they changed it up in the conference finals. But regardless, uh, Jared Vanderbilt's uh, dealing with an issue right now, so he's not going to play. Uh, the Suns aren't going to have Bradley Beal already has a back injury. It's like, uh, yeah, I know. They're old and, you know, these guys have played a lot of basketball. I mean, this isn't... Yeah, I think Bradley Beal's only like 31 or 32. It's not like he's crazy old by NBA standards even today, but he has played so much basketball because in Washington he's just been the guy. So he's taken a lot of beatings, and he's little. So it's a, it's a, it's a big toll. And then Kevin Durant is injury prone, and we'll see if they can stay healthy otherwise. I don't know. Nurkic doesn't play a whole lot of games traditionally, so you already saw that. And then Draymond is not going to be healthy for the Warriors either. In fact, that might be a little bit of a longer injury. So... Yeah, unfortunately, not the finals or conference finals matchups we'd hoped that uh, these teams would both be healthy, but certainly the premier games and probably the four best teams in the West, even if they don't finish with the four best records, I would say maybe the four best teams in the West. I would agree with that for sure. Uh, But yeah, on Wednesday, the Jazz host the Sacramento Kings, um, and we'll get a sort of a better look as compared to the preseason with a lot more people playing in that game. I think should be mostly healthy on both sides. Yeah, are there Um, any other good games around the league? Tomorrow night, I'm looking at it right now. Tonight's a really good, a really good schedule. Celtics Knicks is good. Mm, yes, that's a good game. I don't know if I'm buying the Nets yet. Uh, they're interesting because I like their young players, but they're probably not very good. Cavaliers are playing them on the road. Pelicans Grizzlies might be interesting if uh, Zion's back and playing at 100. percent Those yes. are two teams that could compete for a top four spot in the West. Pelicans, you remember, had the best record in the NBA when Zion was healthy last year. Through January, when he was on the floor, they were the number one seed in the Western Conference, and he gets hurt or whatever Zion's doing when he's not playing basketball, which is numerous and uh, sounds somewhat strange, whatever he wants to do. Uh, I don't know. And then the Grizzlies aren't going to have jaw for 25 games. And then they lost Steven Adams to start the year. That's going to be a big blow. That's that's just a, that's two, I mean, 25 to 40 minute a night guys on any given night that you're losing. Uh, in a rotation, it's just it's a lot. And you know what? You know what I like, Chandler? Rebounding. Yes. You know what Jaron Jackson Jr. doesn't do? Rebound. <laughs> that meant it was Stephen Adams' job to rebound. <laughs> and now they're going to be missing that. So uh, that's too bad. Otherwise, not a great, actually not a great schedule tomorrow night. Thursday, it will pick up again. 76ers bucks. We get to see Damian Lillard make his debut. Actually, he doesn't even play tomorrow night. And then uh, Suns take on the Lakers, which again is another potential Western Conference Finals preview. 
Let's take a break there. When we come back, we will uh, look forward to the Kings tomorrow night, and also we will hand out our award predictions for the Jazz players, the league awards. If they just went to Jazz players, who would we pick? We will talk about that and then answer your uh, mailbag questions as well. Stick around. More Jazz Notes coming up next. All right, Chandler, let's talk a little bit about the Sacramento Kings. They had a very good season last year. Jazz uh, going to see them to open the season tomorrow night. They get to host the game at the Delta Center, which, you know, the Jazz beat the champions last night, uh, last year, the Denver Nuggets, in the season opener uh, and looked very good in that game. And it was kind of our first taste that, oh, this team is not as bad as everyone is expecting. Lowry was good. Colin Sexton had a great fourth quarter in that game. Walker had a double-double, didn't miss a shot from the floor, became the first player in NBA history ever to do that. And you just started to realize, like, okay, there's there's some pieces here. Uh, that's actually going to work. This is a good test. This is actually not a bad game to play, game one, uh, where I don't think Sacramento is the third best team in the West. I think they're probably between 6 and 10, somewhere in that range. I like their players a lot. There's a reason they lost in the first round of the playoffs, though, to the Golden State Warriors. This is a great, great test for the Jazz to open the season. Yes, like we talked about a few episodes ago, the the start to the Jazz season is far from easy. After Sacramento, they have the Clippers, Phoenix, Denver, and Memphis, all teams that are expected to be near the top of the West. So when you look at this Sacramento game, first game jitters, get it out of the way. I think picking up a win against Sacramento could set the tone not only for the first 10 games, but maybe for the even the entire season. Because, yeah, you lose, and let's say you lose five straight, which is very possible with those. I wouldn't bet on it, but you lose five straight, and all of a sudden you're saying— oh, man, this seems worse than last year. And the players start to think, oh, are we worse than last year? And you start to think, do we have to make changes to the roster if you're the coaching staff? And, yeah, that gets hairy. So this is a this is a potentially important game for the Jazz tomorrow night. Certainly no must-wins in game one of the season, <laughs> but uh, uh, an important game certainly to set the tone for what could be the, the rest of the year, where we just talked about I think the Denver win did kind of set the tone for at least the first two and a half months, three months, which totally changed how the Jazz operated in the last two or three months of the season. So that is going to be fun to watch. I like this Kings roster. I love De'Aaron Fox. I like Demonis Sabonis. They've got good depth all around. Harrison Barnes is just an NBA player. Alex Len, JaVale McGee are NBA players. They've got guys who step out there uh, and know how to play. Is it Chris Murray? A really good rookie last year. Steps in, knows how to play. So they have some guys that I like on this roster. I think that I like to look at matchups, especially when you're talking about rookies going into this. And I think that De'Aaron Fox will be a great matchup for Keontae George game one. He's not a bad defender. He's very quick. So I think that sort of testing Keontae early will be good. And I think that looking at the roster, De'Aaron averaged 25 last year. Sabonis averaged the most assists on the team, ironically, with seven and the most rebounds with 12. So I think that it will be a good game. And I think that the fact that the Jazz are hosting makes a win that much more likely. Yeah, really a tough challenge for Walker Kessler, who did play well in the last game again. Not everyone was playing for either the Jazz or the Kings. Walker Kessler had 14 points and 15 rebounds. I've told you I'd like to see that rebounding number stay high this season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Malik Monk's a very good player. Kevin Herter's a really good player. There's some funny narrative about him that like, oh, he's not a playoff guy because he had one bad playoff series against the Warriors. It's like, I mean, Steph Curry's had bad playoff series. That doesn't mean he's not a playoff guy. It happens. Yes. Guys have tough six-game stretches, seven-game stretches. Uh, it doesn't mean they're not any good at basketball anymore. Davion Mitchell looks like he's coming around for the, the Kings. So this is a good team. Uh, it's not a great team. I still think the lack of superstar talent at the top of their roster doesn't allow them to compete with the... Lakers, Suns, 
Nuggets, Warriors, if you want to put in Minnesota Timberwolves, if Anthony Edwards evolves into a superstar, the Clippers certainly have superstars on their roster. It's going to keep them out of that conversation, which is why I put them at six, seven, eight in that running. Uh, but they're really good. They're really deep, uh, and, and they're certainly gonna gonna make the playoffs again this year because they have a good coach in Mike Brown, and they have the depth to survive a couple injuries here and there. And then on Friday, the Jazz host the Clippers as well. I think starting off with two home games is going to be big. But after the first five games, you have a stretch where you can pick up a few wins in a row. You have Orlando, Minnesota, Chicago, and Indiana, and then Memphis again. Again. Ja will not be there for either of those first two games in the first 10. So if you can escape the first five with three, maybe two wins, and then go on to that next stretch where you can maybe win the majority of those, I don't think they're going to have as good a start as they did last year. I think after a month, they were the one seed in the West. If they can sort of keep their head above water to start the season, I think it could be good for them. We're recording again a week from today, next Tuesday. The Jazz will have played four games by then. Kings, Clippers, both games in Salt Lake, and then they go on the road at Phoenix, at Denver. If the Jazz are two and two, they're in great shape. I think, though, even if they're one and three, it's fine. Yes, I don't think that's a, a cause for concern for this Jazz roster. And then, like we said, you play uh, you play Memphis after that. So if you can start out two and three, I think you're in really good shape. If you start out three and three, you're just fine. We will be able to get more into that uh, after we see what happens in this first week. And if the Jazz can even pick up a win against the Kings or the Clippers to open their uh, their early home stage of games that they've got coming up this week. All right. Do we want to uh, jump into our awards predictions if we were to apply them to the Utah Jazz? Uh, do you want to uh, ask the questions and we can both respond? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, what categories do we have? Okay, so we have MVP, Most Improved, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, and Clutch Player of the Year. Okay. Let's start with MVP. I think, I think that's it's pretty easy. Pretty safe. Lowry Markin. Yes. He was the MVP last year. I think he's going to make the All Star team again this year. He looked better in the preseason, I thought, than he did in the preseason last year. His scoring is actually up by minute. Uh, he shot po- poorly. He only shot 30% mm-hmm. from three. I, I know Lowry can shoot, so I'm not worried about his three point shooting. Maybe he's not at 39% like he was last year, or maybe he is and he averages 28 points a game and makes All NBA. So he's going to be an All Star, I suspect. If not, he's going to be very much in that running, yes, uh, and he's going to be the Jazz best player. I 100% agree. Um, a lot of these, like MVP, like Rookie of the Year, and even Defensive Player of the Year, I think it's pretty obvious to who on the Jazz will get that award. But next up, Most Improved, I think that's a little bit up in the air. Could go a lot of different ways. My pick is Colin Sexton. Okay, that would be a big one. That would certainly be helpful for the Jazz. He's the second highest paid player on the roster. He looked good in that final preseason game. The question is, can Colin Sexton... He was good about every three games last year, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. Like, he would have two kind of whatever games, just was kind of on the roster, did his thing, and then he would go for 19, or yes. he'd go for 23, and then he'd go back to, you know, 12 points on fine shooting. But can he get up to where every other game he's good? Mm-hmm. Or two out of three games he's good instead of every third game he's good? That would certainly be a big jump for the Jazz. You know, my most improved player, I'm going to go with Ochai. I like that. I'll go with Ochai Abaji. Uh, just because, A, he's going to start the season in the rotation, which he didn't last year. He wasn't until about January 1st, really, uh, was he playing a whole lot. But he's he's just, he does a lot well. I like the things he does, and the Jazz need the things he does. One of the thing, reasons they've been playing him at power forward in the preseason is, A, because they have five guards, and B, as much as he's kind of a little bit on the smaller side and in some rosters might be a backcourt player, he cannot dribble, and he's not a good passer. Yes. So you got to utilize his skills by keeping him in the front court and keeping him off the ball, and I think they will. So I, I think Ochai has a decent year. I think he might be a forgotten-about player from last year's draft league-wide that people start to realize, like, hey, now that's a guy. That, that's actually a pretty good NBA player. I think overall, even though, like you said, he does have his shortcomings, I think that 
Ochai can bring more to a Jazz roster than Colin Sexton can. Colin Sexton will give you that aggressiveness. He'll give you that energy and the scoring. But I think that Ochai will fill in all the other spots that the Jazz roster may need a little bit more. And there's guys like you know Aaron Neesmith across the NBA who you're probably like, who? What? It's like, well, yeah, last year with the Pacers, he averaged 10 points and shot 42% from the floor and 36% from three and grabbed four rebounds. They gave him $33 million yesterday. Yeah. Like, that's those are guys. Those guys really matter, and that's exactly who Ochai Abaji is. Can he give you 10 and four and shoot 45% and 35% or even better and be, you know, the third or fourth best defensive player on the team? That's a really, really valuable player. Every NBA roster needs that guy. That's who Bruce Brown was last year, and he yes. helped the uh, he helped the Nuggets win a title. So you need those types of players, uh, and and if you can get them when they're 24, 25, and mold them into something you want, they have value. So give me Ochai at MIP. Next up, we have Rookie of the Year. Um, again, I think this one's pretty cut and dry. I would say Keontae George. I would love if Taylor Hendricks could prove us wrong and be NBA ready after a month or two into the season, get some games under his belt. But my pick goes to Keontae. Yeah, I think it's going to be Keontae. Uh, Barring you know him hitting like a very severe rookie wall, which happens with guards, maybe yes. he hits the wall and just is like, I can't believe we're at game thirty, which is a call a college season for me, and I've got fifty more. Like it's November, <laughs> it's December, <laughs> I've got fifty more games, and then Taylor Hendricks comes in with fresh legs because he's been with the stars, not playing as much, and kind of just goes on a tear for the second half of the season. If he's even in the rotation at that point, that's the case for Taylor Hendricks to make it. But yeah, it's got to be got to be uh, uh, Keontae to end of the year. Yes. Next up, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, my pick is Walker Kessler. Um, I think that also maybe Ochai, if he makes a big jump on defense, shows that he's the best perimeter defender on the Jazz, he could be in that conversation. And you know what? I'll go with Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn is an elite wing defender. He's an elite guard defender, one of the better in the NBA. Uh, so if the Jazz want to make the leap into the top 10 in the in the NBA in, in uh, defensive rating, let's say even the top 15, Top 15 would be good. Jazz were in well into the 20s last year. It's probably not because Walker takes some crazy step forward. I think we know what Walker is. It's because somebody in the backcourt has decided to defend. And maybe if he starts, Chris Dunn is that guy, sets a tone, and the Jazz become a much better defensive team. So I'll go dark horse. Chris Dunn is my pick. Here's my take. Call it hot if you'd like. I was looking at all the award races NBA-wide, and Walker Kessler was not anywhere to be found on Defensive Player of the Year odds. My take is that he finishes top five. I'm not going to say he's going to be the defensive player of the year, but I think that he could be in that conversation if the Jazz can be a top 15, top 20 defending team on his back. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. What's our next one? Next one, sixth man of the year. This is very dependent on who starts, who we find out will be starting tomorrow when the Jazz play the Kings. But I go with the assumption that Chris Dunn or someone else will be starting, and my sixth man of the year is Colin Sexton. Okay, and I will shuck all guesses of figuring out who's going to be the starting point guard or backcourt in general, and I'll go with Kelly Olynyk. Okay. I'll say Kelly Olynyk is going to come in because I think he really is, as silly as it sounds, he's a sixth starter because they're going to bring him in early in the game, I think, to pair with John Collins to open the floor up a little bit for that offense. Last up, a new award uh, that came into the NBA last year, and this year we'll see who can get it for the Jazz. Uh, clutch player of the year. Um, I think the easy answer is Larry Markkinen. He's probably going to be getting a lot of those shots when it comes down to it late in the game. But I decided to go with Jordan Clarkson. Okay. Um, man, can I pick Chris Dunn again? <laughs> like, he is so reliable late in games. If he's closing games, and I think you do probably want your best guard defender on the floor. Like, I think whether Chris Dunn starts or not, I think you probably want him in the closing rotation because he does so many things really well. He's really steady with the ball, and then he's really good defending it, and he makes shots when he gets into the paint. He doesn't huck a lot of bad shots. So as far as like best shooting percentage in the clutch, I would take Chris Dunn. 
Oh, but I guess I'll, I'll just go Lowry. It's okay. boring, but man, Lowry was good last year. He was, he was really good and hit some huge clutch shots. Remember yes. the Jazz beating the Suns here in Salt Lake City? He hit that crazy turnaround. Uh, so give me, give me Lowry. I should have more guts than that. I'm not going to. <laughs> Honestly, I could see what you were saying, though, about even if Dunn isn't starting, he could be the closing rotation guy. A good example of that last year is D'Angelo Russell in the Lakers. He was starting for them, but he was almost never in late in the fourth the quarter. Get him off the floor <laughs> as quickly as possible. I mean, I bet Jared Vanderbilt didn't close a lot of games either. Yeah. Certainly not by the end when Rui was out there. So, yeah, uh, that that's possible. All right. Uh, last up, we can talk really quick about the Jazz Top 50. We wrapped that up last week. We had the top four, um, Adrian Dantley, Pete Maravich, and then top two, as everyone expected, John Stockton and then Carl Malone. Yep. Uh, Darren Williams or Donovan Mitchell came in at number five, if we want to just push that out to the full five. But yeah, those are the four Hall of Famers who played the majority of their Jazz basketball and Hall of Fame career with the Jazz. So they built their name as Jazz players and turned into Hall of Famers. Pistol Pete did some stuff with the Hawks before and made an all-star team, but his all-NBA performances came when he was with the Jazz, so absolutely deservedly so. Adrian Dantley had some good seasons with uh, Detroit after he left the Jazz, but his best basketball, his all-star appearances came in Salt Lake City as well, so I think that's totally fine. I think that's totally fine. Pete Maravich played so few games, uh, even in New Orleans. I think if you wanted to have an argument to push him down, uh, you would, but I think when you think of the Jazz, those are the four names most fans think of, and I think I have no problem with them being out there. I know Carl Malone is the MVP in jazz history, but give me give me Stock as the greatest jazz player of all time. That's how, that's how the fans voted. The fan vote had John Stockton as the number one overall player. Uh, media vote had Carl, and the media vote was weighted a little more heavily than the uh, the fan vote was. So uh, so Carl ended up taking that top spot. Resume wise, it is Carl. Yes, you know the two MVP awards, best players on some finals teams. John was right there though. Yeah, it's not like there's a huge gap. I do think there's a pretty significant drop off between the top two and then number three and yes. four. The gap between John Stockton and either Maravich or Dantley or Rudy Gobert or whoever you have, I think, is quite significant. Yes. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. We got a couple good questions here. Uh, two from Cade Cottrell. First up, in your personal heart of hearts, do you think Hardy is starting THT because he likes what he's seen in training camp and thinks he's the best option, or because the organization wants to feature him to raise his value? So, Cade, to answer your question, if we're just doing this from the preseason, I do think it might be because we honestly knew the least about him as a guard compared to the other quote-unquote veterans on the team. And it's funny to call Taylor a veteran because he's 22 or was last year. But I know what Colin Sexton offers. I really know what Jordan Clarkson does. And I think I actually know exactly what Chris Dunn is, too. Like, Chris Dunn is not suddenly going to start shooting four threes a game and change his style of play. Like, he's a dog on defense. He's really reliable with the ball in his hand. He's a good, he's not a great playmaker. You know, he doesn't see the floor like Chris Paul does or LeBron or something like that. But he makes smart passes and can get six, seven, eight assists just off of making some some simple reads. THT, I think you're still trying to uncover exactly what he is and whether or not he can fit into this lineup. And if not, because he's not on an expiring contract, you can then figure out whether you trade him, you just let him expire. He doesn't really have to be in the rotation. Like He doesn't make enough money to demand that. He doesn't have the type of personality that I think is going to be difficult if he doesn't play at all. Like He'll be frustrated about it, and rightfully so. It's a contract year for him. But he's not going to you know, blow up the locker room if he's not playing. Whereas if you weren't to play Colin Sexton for some reason, it'd be like, oh, something's bad, something wrong. That's not going to be the case with Talon. So I really think it was a, discover- a discovery process for Talon Horton Tucker. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle of those two, liking what you see and raising his value. Uh, next up, also from Cade, if the Jazz make a single trade before the deadline, do you think it's more likely to be a future asset acquisition trade or a win-now trade for a high-level player? I'll say win-now. I think the Jazz, if they make a trade... 
is probably to get a little bit better. Yes. Because I th- would be surprised if going into February or even, you know, let's say December when all these contracts that were signed in the offseason can get traded again. And it's kind of when trades start to get made in the NBA season between mid-December and, and mid-February when the trade deadline is. The Jazz should be floating around relevancy. I don't think they're going to be leading the West, but if they were, if you told me they had the seventh or eighth best record from December to February in the West, I'd say, okay. And I don't think they're making a trade at that point to get worse and get a future asset. So I, I would say they would probably be making a move with an expiring contract or combining a couple of players to try and move up and get a one better player whose team is having a disappointing season. They want to blow it up and the Jazz say, well, yeah, let's make a move. Let's get better. What do you think about uh, picking up this guy who's been rumored to be on the block, Malcolm Brogdon in Portland? Interesting. I've heard weird things about Malcolm Brogdon as far as a locker room guy that I was unaware of until recently, uh, which is why he keeps getting moved. Like, yes. What, he was rookie of the year in Milwaukee. Was it Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. And then they were like, yeah, we'll trade you. It's like, okay. Why did they <laughs> trade him? And then uh, where did he go? It wasn't Boston. What was his first spot after? Uh, was it Indiana? Indiana. And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. We'll trade you. <laughs> and then he goes to Boston, and Boston's like, oh, you were awesome for us. We needed a point guard. We'll trade you to the Clippers. <laughs> and then, like, the Clippers trade fell apart. And they're like, well, okay, well, we'll trade you to Boston or to Portland. Like, he keeps ending up on the block. Yes. And it's not because he's not good at basketball. Mm-hmm. So you got to look at those guys. Yes. There's always something more going on there. Uh, and I'd heard even in Virginia, maybe it was a little weird. So I don't I don't know. Yes, maybe. I'm not trying to – I honestly don't know, like, what the facts are. I've just been told, like, something weird is happening yes. there. So – if he ends up in Utah, like hopefully you can make it work. Uh, but also, I do think Portland wants to trade him. I know they've been like, no, we're going to keep him around. I think that's to like raise the bar on a trade yep. for him a little bit. And I suspect they will still trade him. Next up from Alex, record-wise, what do you think is the best and worst-case scenario for the Jazz this year? Seems like it's so much wider than normal. I'll let you answer this first. What okay. do you think? It's, is, is it 10 games? Is it 20 games? Like, How big is the is the the gap that they could be the worst-case scenario or the best-case scenario. Yeah, we talked about this uh, a couple episodes ago when we compared them to Western Conference teams, and we had them sliding into the 11-12 range uh, in terms of seeding. But in terms of specifically record and wins, I would say I would split right down the middle. I would say about 15. I could see them being as bad as like 30 and 52, but I could also see them being just over 500. Um, So I would say that's probably the range for me. I would say like 44 to 34. I think it's about a 10-game range, which is probably, it's certainly wider than most years, especially when the Jazz had, you know, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Like they just weren't going to lose 40 games. They were going to win between 45, and they're probably going to cap out at about 52. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say it's a little wider and a little bit lower, that's fair. Uh, I would buy that. But, yeah, it's probably 10 games. Yeah. They're not going to win 50. They can't win 50 games. They don't have the talent to do that. I would be surprised if they only won 30 games, unless at midseason they say, Bryce Sensabaugh, Taylor Hendricks, Keontae George, go play. Yep. And we're just going to ta- hand the ball over to you, which is in the realm of possibilities. Maybe the least likely of the realistic things that could happen, but not uh, not impossible. Speaking of the rookies, next up from Craig, uh, where do you think the rookies end the season, starting in the rotation, bench, G League? Uh, by the end of the season, two players will be in the rotation, one of them will be starting. And I would suspect the one starting would be Keontae George, and Taylor Hendricks will be getting you know the last man on the bench. Mm-hmm. Minutes, actually playing, not last yes. guy on the bench, that is Bryce Sensabaugh yeah. or Simone Fontecchio or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I think... I think Hendricks is in the rotation by the end of the season, unless the Jazz are gearing up for a playoff run, and then he probably isn't. Yes. Uh, but Keontae will be playing. 
I, I expect Keontae to, like you said, rookie guards typically hit a wall at some point. I expect him to maybe have some struggles, like you said, after 30 games, maybe for a 20-30 game stretch, and then he'll probably pick it back up near the end of the season. And then for Taylor, I think just because of his game and what he brings to the table, I think that it may be the opposite for him. He'll struggle to start the year, maybe the first half of the season. And then as he gets more games under his belt, he gets more used to being in NBA offenses, facing NBA competition, he will be more likely to get rotational minutes near the end of the year. And I think that Bryce Sensabaugh will just spend most of his time in the G League this year. Yeah, I think so too, and I think that's the right move. Even though I liked him in the scrimmage, they put the ball in his hands and kind of let him run point guard, and he looked way more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he can do that, that's valuable. If you can have a big body. Now, the Jazz don't need another guy who can dribble the ball up the floor. They've got too many of those guys already, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him. But if that's something that he needs to do and actually can make some passes, and I thought he passed the ball okay in the scrimmage, I think that would be a really good sign. So uh, that would be beneficial for the Jazz if if he could be a future piece there. And, you know, if he just makes an NBA roster and is worthy of being an NBA player, with the 28th pick, that's a probably decent return. And then if he's better than that, it's a really good return. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. Like we mentioned, when we're back next week, the Jazz will have played four games, and we will recap the first week and uh, other things going on in the NBA world. Yeah, find Chandler on Twitter at Chandler Holt KSL. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops Instagram. Read us both at kslsports.com. And uh, make sure you continue to download and subscribe to the Jazz Notes podcast.